Ksuvas Perk Base Mishnah Yud 2.10. In the previous Mishnah, we had a rather extraordinary case where we allowed the testimony of uh, even a Shivcha, who's not Jewish and also a woman, um, and acting on her own to give testimony to allow a woman to stay married to her husband, a Kohen. So that's pretty extraordinary. So since we're talking about sort of extraordinary scenarios where someone's um, testimony is accepted, we're going to go to another another area. Now, we're talking about cases in which something was witnessed when a person was a child, and now he's an adult and he's testifying about it. Now, the usual rule is that a person who witnesses something when he's pusillatus, when he can't be a witness, he's allowed to testify about that matter even if he no longer is pusillatus, he's no longer invalid. Like, for example, let's say I witnessed something um, that happened to a relative of my wife's. So I and now relate to that person also, like my wife's father, and therefore I can't give testimony about him. If subsequently I divorce my wife, so then the my ex-wife's father is no longer a relative of mine, and I could give testimony regarding him, still, since the event in question was witnessed when I was pusillatus, when I was his relative, I can't give testimony even now that I'm no longer a relative of his. So similarly, the rule is that a person must be an adult, bar mitzvah, male, meaning 13 years old and already hit puberty, showing two, bringing forth two hairs, um, in order to be considered to be someone who is eligible to be a witness. As the Pasuk says, Va'amdu ha'anashim, you stand up the two men as witnesses, and the drush is two men but not two boys, so a katan doesn't count as a man. That being the case, if a person witnesses something when he's not yet bar mitzvah, so normally he would not be able to testify about that matter, even if he now is a bar mitzvah age. And nevertheless, our Mishnah here will say, there are certain cases in which we allow a person to testify regarding events he witnessed when he was a child, um, now that he's an adult. And the reason why in all of these cases are going to be that the issue in question is entirely rabbinic in nature. And because it's a rabbinic issue... Um, will be lenient and allow an adult now to testify regarding something that happened as a child to clarify the matter. But the essential point here is that on a Doraisa level, um, we wouldn't need we whatever whatever we're going to do because of this testimony. On a Doraisa level, we wouldn't need any testimony at all to do that same have that same result halachic result just because of some rabbinic consideration. So now we're going to need somebody to testify, and we'll see that in certain scenarios. Um, a child, someone who witnessed something as a child, can be brought in now as an adult to testify about it. So, the first case is here. Um, says The following are scenarios in which a person can testify about something he saw when he was a child, now that he's an adult. So the first is, Ne'eman Adam Lomar, a person is believed to say, Zek sav yado shal Abba, Zek sav yado shal Rebbe, Zek sav yado shal Achi. A person can confirm that a signature on a contract is indeed the signature that belonged to his father or um, to his Rebbe or to his brother. If you recall, we said earlier on the Perik, Mid'oraisa, if a contract has two signatures on it from two witnesses, that contract is enforceable. We don't need to have any further information regarding who the signatories are. Rabbinically, we allow the defendants to claim that the contracts are um, part of a forgery, in which case we need to certify the signatures, rabbinically. So we said there were three different ways to certify the signatures. One of them was for someone to testify that the signature is indeed the signature of you know the person who it's supposed to be. So if we can get a person to come and testify 
that that signature is, you know, they recognize the signature as their father's, so then that would be perfectly good testimony to corroborate and therefore certify the signature. The problem is, what happens if the contract was written and the signature was made when the person was a child? So now we shouldn't be allowed to testify regarding it. Nevertheless, because it's only rabbinic in nature, we will allow a child to say, yes, that signature did belong to my father, my rebbe, my brother, because he recognized it, um, even though um, he, you know, is only something that happened in his childhood. Important to note, by the way, lahalacha is that we only accept one of the two witnesses needed to certify a contract um, to be one of these, I'll call them, you know, the child witnesses, if you will. Um, but the second witness has to be a conventional witness who, you know, saw the signing of the contract um, in his, in his, uh, when he really was a bar mitzvah. Similarly, says the Mishnah, a person could testify, Zachor Hayisi Baplonis. I remember when it came to such a woman, Sheyatza Behinuma Varosha Perua. I remember that her wedding was conducted in the way of the wedding of first time marriages. The exact, like we saw in the Mishnah previously, in the Perak, Hinuma means, like, say, a veil or some kind of canopy. The point is appropriate only for first-time marriages. Or Rosha Perua, her hair was down on her shoulders, as was the custom in the time for only first-time marriages. So the point is she's, therefore, a basula, and therefore she's entitled to 200 zuz. So this is going back to the case we had before, where the husband and wife are arguing over whether she gets, or the heirs and the wife are arguing whether she gets 100 or 200 zuz. So since we need someone to confirm that the wedding happened when she was when she was a basula, entitled 200 zuz, this person who witnessed the wedding when he was a child could say, now as an adult, I recall back to my youth, and that's how the wedding was handled. Now, this is interesting, um, because the truth is that extracting money from someone to make this guy pay the second 100 zuz, or the heirs pay the second 100 zuz to the wife, is um, a Doraisa issue. And usually the rule is you don't extract money from someone who could be stealing from him without um, a proper, proper proof. And this is not good enough. So therefore, the question is, why would we allow a child to testify in a matter which effectively boils down to a Doris issue of taking money from somebody? So the answer is, um, first of all, that we have a rove, a strong rove on our hand. The rove, the majority of marriages are first-time marriages. On top of the mission, that was an overwhelming majority, I assume. Um, and the point is, since it's a, the first-time marriages are the majority, we'll assume this woman came from the majority. We just need some sort of corroborating evidence of that, even from a child. Um, now, the truth is that even with a rove, you don't, you're not motzi mammon with a rove. Just because you have a majority of cases, someone owes the money, that wouldn't be enough to extract money. But here, it's more than just a generic kind of rove. Um, it's, it's a, it's a kind of, it's the majority of women are first-time marriages. We have some testimony from a child here, and um, we aren't going to let him be the, we need two witnesses, and we're only letting one of the two witnesses be this kind of strange witness of him being a, you know, having witnessed it as a child, that one has to be a regular adult, and on top of that, it's the kind of thing that people just wouldn't lie because the truth will come out, that's a public event. So, for all those reasons, the din is that having this person, being one of the two witnesses, given that there's a rove, given that it's a public event, will be enough to force the heirs, or the now the, the ex-husband, to pay the full 200 zuz to the woman. Another case in the Mishnah is, Shahaya ish ploni lit betruma. A guy says, I remember I was in school with so-and-so, and I remember he would go um, 
at you know at, at nightfall to go go to a mikvah before to eat truma. So therefore, I'm testifying he's a kohen, and therefore he's entitled to get truma. Now, giving truma also is a derisa issue. You can't give a kohen truma unless he's confirmed to be a kohen. And we said before that you don't assume a person's a kohen just because he said so. And this wouldn't be sufficient because the testimony is happening when a person was a child. But we're talking here about rabbinic truma. So the question is, can people give this kohen in question rabbinic truma? The answer is yes, they can if they have this child who will testify that he recalls he was a Kohen and behaved as such when they were in school together as children. Now the Gemara says, wait a second, you know, there's another kind of person who goes to mikvah and eats truma who's not a Kohen, and that is the evid of a Kohen, the slave owned by a Kohen. He also can eat truma as part of the household, but he needs to go to the mikvah as well. But the Gemara says, yeah, but there's an isser, you're not allowed to send your avadim, your slaves, to learn Torah in school, and the story here is this person was a schoolmate with the Cohen in question, that in the case, no reason to assume he was a, an evident, and therefore we can allow the Cohen to eat at least rabbinic truma based on this testimony. And here you just need one witness, not two. So it's a just simple of you know a serum, and that would be permitted to have, to permit him to receive and eat truma, rabbinic truma based on this one piece of testimony. Very similarly, al If a person would say, "I remember as a child, that person used to come to the." the granary, the threshing floor with us and collect truma from the farmers there, then and there. Again, indicating he's a truma, a Cohen, I should say, entitled to truma. We're talking here truma de Rabban, only rabbinic truma. We're going to give it to him based on this testimony um, because he's acting like a, tru- a Cohen from this person's youth. Again, if you ask, wait a second, could it be he's a slave owned by a Cohen? The answer is yeah, but you'll recall that you can't have a slave go collect truma from the threshing floor, from the Goren, and from the farmer, unless he's accompanied by his master for this very reason. Okay. In addition, a person could say, A person could say, I remember from my childhood that this particular area had the halachic status of being a base hapras. Base hapras is an area in which we're concerned there is a lost grave, or that a grave had was there, but it was plowed over. And the concern is that the plowshare went into the ground and, you know, turned things up and grabbed a hold of some bones and spread some bones or fragments of bones around this field. Now, bone fragments, um, even if it's etzim kasaora, even if it's just the size of a barley corn, it conveys tuma. Should a Kohen um, touch it directly, maga, or even move it with heset. And that being the case, um, once a plow has gone through an area where we know there was a grave but it's been lost, the whole area is called the base of pras, and that extends to 100 amas in all directions, 100 amas radius, um, around from where the grave had been. So once, it's a, once that's the situation of base of pras, it's usr midura banan for a kohen to go through the base of pras. We're afraid he'll become tummy, and um, although a kohen becoming tummy from tumas mace from a dead body or significant portion thereof of a dead body, um, is only is a doraisa. Here it's the isser of going through the base of process just that they're abundant because who said, you know, there actually is a body or a bone there. So here we're having a child testify that the area in question is the where the base of process was um, to define where the Kohen can and cannot go. And since it's a rabbinic matter, the base of process will believe the child, the person who witnessed it when he was a child. And finally, Varkana a person can testify that when he was a child, this was the limit of the tchum. Remember, you're only allowed to go um, on Shabbos um, to a maximum distance of 2,000 amos beyond the, I'll call it city limits for now, um, the end of 
where the inhabitants are. So there's a line, and that line of 2,000 amos from the edge of the city is called the uh, Tchum, and it's a Din de Rabbanan, Tchum and Rabbanan. The point is, the big yellow sign that said, don't take another step, the Tchum ends here, that's been lost. So we don't know exactly remember where the Tchumen are. If a child, if a person says, when I was a child, you know, that was the tree. We knew we couldn't go past that tree because that was the end of the Tchum. The child's believed to define you can go up to the tree and no further because, again, it's just rabbinic in nature. On the other hand, the following cases are scenarios where the child witnessing it back then can't testify even now that he's an adult. And these are both um, cases that involve something that's a Doraisa. Doraisa is essentially of expropriating property from somebody, which is stealing. That's a Doraisa. Um, and we won't believe the child. Um, and we pick these particular cases because they're very public matters. So the thought is, you know, that everyone knows or because the information can come out, you know, regarding this matter. Nevertheless, the person's not believed to testify now as an adult about matters that happened when he was a child um, because it implicates the potential, you know, stealing, if you will, of, of land, which is a Doraisa. So, um, the particular case is that there's a, a field in question, let's say, and the field, um, now people are arguing that there was some public p- strip or location in the private field, which allowed for public access. Like, the first case would be, a, there was a path, there was a walking path through here. If it's true that the public continually walked through that path, from the three years they walked through that path, no one ever complained, so then that path is like a public domain, and even though it goes cuts through someone's private property, the public is allowed to use that path to get from one side to the other side. So the scenario here is a person bought some, you know, field which had been fallow for who knows how long, you know, for decades, and now someone wants to walk through the field, and he says, you can't walk through the field, this is my field, it's private property, and the guy says, not private property, that your field might be your field, but it, there was always this path that went through it um, in yesteryear, and that doesn't belong to you, and the person who sold this field had no right to sell the strip of land in the middle because it wasn't his, it's public. So, we need to find someone who could testify that indeed that was the path from yesteryear, um, and people use it for at least three years, so it has a, you know, chazaka established as being public. So let's say we only find a guy who remembers from his youth, but he wasn't a bar mitzvah at the time when they were using that path as a place to cut through. So he won't be believed because the consequences of listening to him would be expropriating that land from the current owner. And that's what the case says here. Of ein adam nam on lomar, a person who's now an adult, will not be believed to say, There was a path that cut through here to, that led to such and such a place where the public used to walk on um, when I remember from my youth. He will not be believed for the reason I explained. And similarly, um, it was customary when they would um, do a funeral procession that the procession would stop seven times along the way and they would sort of eulogize the, the deceased. So if there was like a formal you know, eulogy section area where people would stop on the way to the to the graveyard, let's say. That would be part, again, sort of like a path, a public area. And if that was always used and no one complained, it becomes part of the public domain. So again, similar situation here. Someone wants to make a funeral. He wants to use that area to make his, you know, his funeral um, eulogy. And the current landowner says, what are you talking about? I bought this thing last year and you have no right to be here. So again, we need witnesses that say, no, no, it's part of the public domain. And a person won't be believed to say, I remember from my youth because... Again, the result would be expropriating which would, from the land from the sky, which would be an Isra or Isa. Um, and that being the case, if a person says, Ma'amad umisped haya leploni there was like a an area that was dedicated for stopping and eulogizing over here, uh, that testimony will not be accepted if the person is testifying about events that happened that he witnessed when he was not yet bar mitzvah.